This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashan Johan. Joining me on today's episode is Liu Xianjong. He's the co-founder of Biang Biang Noodle Bar. Full disclosure, I've known Xianjong for some time now since the college days of 10 years ago. Welcome to the show, Xianjong. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Now, what exactly is Biang Biang? Alright, so Biang Biang itself, it's, it's an actual name from... Uh, it's an actual name of a noodle from China. Right. The southern part of China, uh, Xi'an from Transi province. It's called Biang Biang because of the way we make the noodle. Uh, not just we, but everyone who make Biang Biang noodle. It's the sound from the dough smacking to the solid surface. Right. Creating the sound Biang Biang. A lot of people thought like we, we made up the word. <laughs> but, but it's actually not made up. It's an actual word from... It's an it's a actual name for the noodle. It's called Biang Biang noodle because of the way, it, the way it's made. And a, a little short story of, mm-hmm. of uh, Biang Biang noodle. It's long time ago, like in very... I think 1800 or something like that. Uh, there's this scholar who, who is starving and he wanted to have a meal. And he came across this, this noodle store that has no name in it. And he actually asked the owner that... Um, can I have a meal? But in exchange, I will write you a signage. Mm-hmm. And back in that days, writing a signage is actually a very, very big thing. Um, so the owner agreed to it. And while he was finding inspiration, like he don't know what to write, what, what name to name the store, he heard the sound, biang, biang. Right. Yeah. So he, he, looked, he, he looked at where the sound is coming from. It's coming from the owner. And he got inspired. Hence, he wrote the name Biang, the Chinese character Biang. And fun fact is actually one of the most complicated and most strokes in Chinese character dictionary. Oh, wow. That's interesting. So, would you say that it is a Biang Biang noodle is a type of noodle? So, for example, you have Pan Mi. That's one noodle. You have Wantan Mi. That's another type of noodle. So, Biang Biang noodle is another type of noodle. noodle. It's a totally different noodle. So, what's different or what's unique about Biang Biang noodles compared to other types? of noodles? For me, the main thing is the process is being made mm-hmm. um, because if you look at all noodle, every noodle is almost the same. It's always uh, salt flour water. It's always this tree. But the way that Biang Biang is made is you have hand pull noodle, hand twist noodle, knife cut noodle, everything like that, right? Biang Biang noodle is actually called hand smack noodle. Right. In order to make it, they have to smack it onto the solid counter surface. So I think that's uh, the things that stand out from the rest of the noodle. So what what made you um, and your partners um, decide that, you know, I want to first open a noodle shop, a noodle uh, bar, a noodle restaurant? And secondly, why Biang Biang specifically? How did y'all come to that decision? Okay, um, first of all, we are all noodle person. Okay. Like we prefer noodle over rice. Right. And we thought that if we were to start a noodle, noodle store, we want to have something that's not never been done before. Right. Something that's new, something that uh, people have never seen before. So I was fortunate enough to actually study abroad. So I, I, I have seen a lot types of food. And one thing that stuck to me was Biang Biang Noodle. Hmm. Um, I seen it and I think it's very, very interesting of, because of the, the way it's made. I'm really, really fascinated by the way it's made. Uh, 
I think that's why we, we landed on noodle. First of all, we're a noodle person. Second is uh, the way that the noodle is made. We can imagine it being in a store. Oh, it has showmanship. The noodle is great and it's very versatile and everything. So that's why we decided to, to land on Biang Biang noodle specifically. Right. And how did y'all learn? Because it's not... Like you said, there's a specific way of making it. Yeah. There's a, a specific style of preparing it. It's a noodle very unique to China. How did you, and, and because you are someone who you didn't just hire chefs yeah. to do it for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen, seen it, you know, I've been to your restaurant a couple of times and you are there smacking the yeah. noodles as, as yeah. well. So where did you learn how to do all of this? To be honest, I learned it all from the internet. Um, a little bit of myself, a little bit of background of myself mm-hmm. is that I... I have no culinary experience. Right. I have zero culinary. I didn't study culinary art. I, I am just someone who really, really loved cooking since the since the age of five or six. So, uh, cooking has always been been a part of my life. Mm. Like I cook daily. I cook really, really regular. So I not only that. I also always watch uh, food shows right. on my free time. I always try to find new recipe to cook that kind of thing. So. Cooking, uh, cooking is like a sense that it's not to say either you have it or you don't have it. I think it's just like whether you're passionate enough to learn it. Right. Yeah. So um, that's where I learn. I believe that every information now is all in the internet. You can just search for something and you can learn there. And from there, you can like slowly tweak it, tune it to what you want to achieve. So that's how we actually learn to make Biang Biang Noodle. So what was that process like? Um, you know, because so you already have the idea, you all say, okay, we want to make Biang Biang, this hand-smacked noodle. And then what was it like before you all, you know, came up with your menu, before you all launched the restaurant? You all had to experiment, I'm guessing. Yes. Um, what was that process like? Whoa, uh, we took a long time. I think... I think it was more than six months. Right. Uh, we, we R&D, uh, we R&D, not just the noodle. Noodle is like a part of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a major part of it. We R&D the noodle until we get it to the right uh, texture that we wanted. Because Biang Biang noodle is a bit tricky right. in terms of uh, all noodle, I feel, because it has to have the elasticity when you pull and it also has has to have the chew when you bite on it. So that took us quite some time to R&D. And then I, after a few months of locking down just the noodle, noodle part of it, we actually have to R&D the, the sauce, right. the sauce to pair with the noodle. So that also took quite some time. And after the sauce, we also have to look for the best sauce of protein to go for the noodle. Mm. So it's, it's like a few layers process that took over six to seven months to R&D before we actually open a shop. So when you say R&D, is it you and your friend sitting in your house trying to figure it out? How, how was that? Yes. Um, it's usually like we R&D in my place, actually, in my house right. itself. <laughs> so I, I have this like very small studio. Right. And then like my, my partners will, will always come over and we will just like spend almost the entire day R&Ding. So, I mean, the whole idea is not too focused into business. It's like just... We, we just learn to have fun also. Right. So we take it as like, oh, we are indeed, but also, hey, we are making, I'm making meal for everyone. Let's have fun, let's right. eat, that kind of thing. Nice. So how, when exactly did Biang Biang launch and, and how much has y'all, have y'all grown since you started? I think we launched 2022 December. Right. I think we are roughly sitting around almost nine months. Yeah. Almost nine months old. And 
we we expanded faster than we expected actually. So right now we are sitting at three outlets. Which are? Uh, one in SS2, which is our main one, and we have one in Chiras Trader Square, and one more in Rexcale, which is like pop-free. Ah. It's a pop-free, alcohol-free outlet. Okay. And there's few more undergoing discussion, but we are like, we are trying not to go too fast. We're trying to pace our business. Right. So that's something very interesting. I'll talk to you about the business side a little bit later. But you know, what's very interesting also about your shop is that there is a very unique design, very unique personality yeah. to it, right? Um, a lot of noodle restaurants you go, they have a very standard white wall. Yeah, normal house. White, yes, yeah, kind, very normal. You know, that, that type. But you go inside yours, it feels like that you have your body is full of tattoos. Yeah. And junk. It feels like the tattoos on your body on the wall. At, yeah. at times, you know, it's like graffiti art yeah. type of thing, right? Why did y'all take that approach? Um, because before, like it, like you mentioned, during the R&D stage, we didn't just R&D the food. We also have a very, very long thought process on how we want to brand the brand. Right. So the brand identity is really, really important. And I think you know me well enough. Like I'm very into street kind of thing. Yes. Very street. Neon street kind of Neo Taipei Street. Right, right. So that's what we are aiming to go for. We we don't just want people to come into a normal noodle house. We want people to have like a full experience of like, oh, they are actually in this new Shanghai kind of look. Um, it's very Instagrammable. Not just not just the food is good, but the uh the interior design is good. It's comfortable for them, and it's something for them. Something they want to take to social media right. as well. So. Why did you get in, decide to get into the F&B business? Because we went to university together. You studied mass communication. You were incredibly passionate about advertising. Yeah. So tell me about that journey and, and why you decided to switch to a business, but specifically F&B. Okay, it's actually a bit of a bittersweet, sad story. Right. Um, I don't regret what I learned. I actually, uh, I think I appreciate what I learned because it, it it taught me how to look at things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Mascom, and from there, I branched out to advertising, which I really love up to this date. Right. Um, the sad thing, the sad reality about it was like, I was studying abroad in UK, and I actually managed to land a placement. It's like an internship right. uh, in London. Uh, that period of time when I was working, Brexit was happening. Mm. So I was actually almost uh, getting a permanent job. Right. But unfortunately, Brexit happened. I think one of the law that they passed on was the minimum, the minimum wage of uh, international workers. Right. So they are looking for a more senior and veteran worker instead of a junior. Mm. So what my company said is like, oh, um, the minimum requirement of salary is way too, too high. In a way, I got laid off. And then I actually came back to Malaysia. I also tried to work. I actually worked in advertising for quite some time. I think a year. Almost a year, yeah. Um, but what I studied and worked in UK and Malaysia is very different. Mm. So in UK, they value um, creative strategy, uh, ideas and stuff like that. But in Malaysia, it's mostly about design. And I didn't learn design in UK. Right. So I was really, really struggling in Malaysia. And my, my boss was really fed up of me. So I can, I can, I can see that, man. Um, yeah, so I was like really underperforming and I was really, suddenly I, I went in this like really, really bad, deep 
deep hole. Mm. And it was all downhill from there and I got quite sad. That's when I left uh, right. I left advertising. Um, and I went into the field of construction. Right. I was lucky enough that uh, my dad owns a construction business, so I was uh, working with my dad uh, in my dad's business. And then from there, I swapped, not to say swap, uh, I was in construction business for like three years, three years-ish. Um, on the first year itself, I already know construction is not what I want to do. Right. It's not one, uh, what I want to do, but it's good money. Mm. It's really, really good money. So what I, I have like this plan, plan out. I will earn the money from construction. I will take the money. I will do something else. Right. So like I invested some, some other things with my construction money. Uh, and I left construction three, four years after that to do Biang Biang Noodle. Um, the reason why I left construction and I, uh, yeah, the reason why I left construction is like, I don't, I don't like the nature of the business. Mm. Um, yeah, then I swapped to F&B because I feel like F&B has always been my calling in a way. Right. Because, like, as I mentioned, since young, I, I love I love cooking. And it's always at the back of my mind. And I thought, you know what? It's always in the back of my mind. My heart is pounding really strongly for this. <laughs> so I thought, like, ah, you know what? Like, let's just let's give just... it a try, man. Let's just give it a try. If not, I will, I will die not knowing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Was it a risk for you to make that jump, not just from construction to F&B, um, but from, you know, doing what you studied and then jumping into something completely different, which was construction? Was that a risk? Um, how, if, if it was a risk, how big of a risk was it? And then later, you know, when you are ready to yeah. leave, because uh, like you said, construction, the, the one sort of um, benefit you had there was that your dad had a construction yeah. company. Now moving away from that into starting your own F&B business, um, how nerve-wracking of a of jump was that? Oh, it's a... For me on a personal level, it's a very huge risk mm. because at the time when I was switching from construction to my own business, I, has, I have a lot of liabilities. I have... Um, yeah, I have a lot of commitment to pay All off. Right. And being in the construction field itself, I, I know I can pay it off with ease. Mm -hmm. But then jumping into my own business, Biang Biang, uh, the, the risk is much higher because you don't get to take salary like, like you used to. You know? right. Because it's your own business. Uh, your staff come first, the business come first, you yourself are the last. You, you get paid last, depending on how, how, how the sales is. And it, to me, it's all eight in one basket. Because jumping from a very secure place to a very shaky place. And thankfully, thank God, it, it, it worked out in a way. Right. It worked out in a way. And, and yeah, to answer your question, it's, it's a huge jump. It's a huge risk. And I think not just in terms of money, but in terms of knowledge as well. Because I, I don't have culinary background. So everything I have to like, research it by myself, do it by myself, uh, discuss it with my partners, how do we go about it, that kind of thing. What is driving you right now? Is food your passion or is business your passion? I would say majorly food, but mm. both. But uh, I think the best driving force, mm -hmm. I, I, it may sound cliche, but I think every cook or chef would say the same thing. I think it's, the, really, it's really the joy of the customer. Hmm. Because for me, I I know my regulars. 
I really know my regulars. I may not know them by name, sorry guys, <laughs> but I know them by faces. Right. I know them by when they come in, I know all. Oh, this this fellow is gonna order tomato. <laughs> this fellow is gonna order this. This fellow is gonna order this. I, I know their name already. And sometimes even like uh through delivery, I can see their name. I'm like, I will write a note. Thank you for for supporting us, ordering from us. So I think being a part of your customer daily lifestyle, your meal, your food, you know, being a part of their daily lifestyle. And I think that's a really big thing. And not only that, like when new customer or regular customer, when they have your food, because our concept is like we have open kitchen, right? Right. So I can see, see right out the table. So I can, I can really see if the customer is happy or not. Right. And you know, when customers slurp the noodle, when it's good, they do this nod, yes. and then they, they laugh, and then they talk to their friends. Right. So I think when you see that, you, you feel really happy. <laughs> and then that is one, 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 one spark of joy. Right. And moving forward from that, when they turn into regular, that's another part of joy. And the bigger picture, I feel like a lot of uh, major F&B fail to see is like, I think if you learn to see things in a smaller scale, like if you just zoom in a bit, you your food is being a part of their lifestyle. I think that's right. a very, very big thing. Like it's in their daily lifestyle. Like to me, that's that's really good. Lah. That's, right. that's really, really happy. I think that's really wonderfully put. Let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Liu Xianzhong. He's the co-founder of Biang Biang Noodle Bar. We'll continue this conversation after these messages on redefining success, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashan Johan and on the show with me today is Liu Xianzhong. He's the co-founder of Biang Biang Noodle Bar. So, Xianzhong, I want to ask you the big picture question now. Okay. How do you define success? Wow, <laughs> that's a big question. Uh, success. Oh, um, to me, it always change. Uh, when I was like, I think back in a few years, if you ask me this question, to me, success was like oh, having having really nice car, mm. having really expensive watches, having um, very big houses. Um, but I am way past that. Mm. Really, really way past that. I, I don't chase these kind of things anymore. Uh, currently, to me, success is just being content. Right. Content on a personal level. Because success will always change. Uh, like if you ask me five years in the, in the next five years again it may change again but right. I think as long as you control your greed and your your level of content I think that will be success really because to me I'm content with what I'm doing right now because to me work is a big part of a daily life right. and being able to do what you love doing it's a very big success doesn't necessarily have to be a business mm-hmm. it can be a desk job it can be a normal part-time job as long as you are doing something you like I, I find that very important because that way you don't feel like you're working mm. you feel like you are just doing something you love it's like a hobby right you don't get that burnout yeah kind you don't of get thing. that burnout right so um, to me success is that but if you ask me like what true success is right now that kind of thing uh, I just want a backyard 
Right. Like a, a very, not necessarily a, like a big house and stuff right, like right. that. I, because I, I own, I own two dogs. Right. And I just want a backyard for them. Like right. if you ask me my goal, yeah, where do absolutely. I want to go? Uh, to me, when I achieve that, I feel like I'm successful. Really. Right. I think that's very interesting, right? I'm curious, what made this change? Because you said at one point, you were at the phase where, you know, your idea of success is we need to make a lot of money. We need more, bigger cars, better cars, yeah, bigger houses, yeah. things like that. What changed? I think I, I think there was a time where I bought, I, I'm really a big watch guy. Mm-hmm. And I, I bought a watch. At the time, like I thought like if I buy this, I, I will feel <laughs> good, right. you know, that kind of thing. But once you actually buy it, the dopamine, right? it's a very, very, very short lifespan. I think it's like a day. Yeah, when you first buy it, you when put first buy you wear it, wear it. on your wrist. And like, okay. What next? What's next? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like very short-lived. Right, and right. I, I realized that. Uh, in a very, very, very early age, mm. I then and then I, I thought, okay, maybe watch is not the way. Maybe a house, and or or nicer car. And then once you you got that, it's like, it's really not, it's not long lived. Right. The dopamine is not long lived. You have to find something that's more lasting. I mm. feel, and materialistic thing really doesn't last. It really, really doesn't last. So to me, it's just controlling the greed and being content. I think that's very important message to put out there, right? Because I think a lot of people, like you said, once they realize that the dopamine only lasts a day, so yeah. the, the the approach they take is let's buy another watch yeah. and another watch yeah, and another watch, yeah. right? So so like I said, it's the greed. Right. So you have to control your greed and, and just learn to be content. Just learn to be right. content. right. So you you talk about how you know work is an uh, important part of your life. Let's paint uh, your a day in your life. So when you wake up in the morning, what happens next? The first thing, the very very first thing, and it's really really important uh, to me is my coffee. Right. <laughs> like I think you saw just now, I brought right. like this huge tumbler. Huge tumbler. That tumbler is like one liter, <laughs> and, and I kid you not, I, I I kid you not. Inside that tumbler, there's like four to five. Tablespoon oh of coffee. Oh my god! Because I I I I have this addict for caffeine. Right. Uh, you can you can say I'm weak, but um, I cannot function. Right. I cannot function without caffeine, and that's just the start of my day like this. After after that, I will after my whole caffeine intake, I will take so and so meditation in the toilet bowl. Okay. Yeah. So like because of my lifestyle, everything is really grab and go. Mm. I I don't have the time to sit. So I wake up, coffee, toilet. Uh, I have two dogs. So I pick up my dogs, I walk them, and then I send them to my caretaker. Mm. I'm really grateful for my caretaker because I I have an issue with my dog. I love them so much that I cannot focus if I know that they are just at my home, uh-huh, not doing anything. Right. So shout out to my caretaker. Like, they, they take good care of them, and I really appreciate them. So after I send them to the caretaker, that's where everything starts. Mm. Uh, usually me and my partners, each of us will take one of the outlets. And when we stop by the outlets, we usually do quality control. Mm-hmm. Quality control, uh, make sure everything is fine, everything's up to up to the level. And then we make sure the service is good, we'll be there. 
And if we are short, short of stuff or things go wrong, we will be doing hands-on stuff. Right. If not, we will let the later one grow. Because I, I, I kind of believe that uh, you need to let your staff have the career development. Right. Because I, I, I never like people just coming into work or oh, you're just here to work as a kitchen crew. Mm. No. To me, I have the idea of like, okay, I'm going to grow you into something. As the business expand, I'm going to grow. You are going to grow with me. Mm. So I, I will have a career plan for you. And then after that, usually service hours usually 12 to 2. And then two to three, uh, let's let's call it three. Three to five is usually a downtime. That's where I do all my my digital stuff. Uh, whether it's planning, planning the business, uh, creating new strategy, creating new content. Because when you're doing your own business, you are doing everything. Right. You are your accountant. You are the chef. You are the social media creator. You you are basically right. <laughs> you are basically everything. And then. I repeat the same thing after five. That's like dinner service. After dinner service end, I have like a debrief with my team. And then I will pick my dog up. Usually that's already 10.30. So after like 10.30, pick my dog up. When I'm home, it's 11. And 11, I still have a lot of things to do. My day, my day don't end yet. I have a lot of messages to reply. Mm. Emails, Google review, and uh, whatever business... In terms of business, like whatever that happened that day, we kind of like me and me and my partners kind of like review it. So what happened? What can we improve on? What can we tune? Uh, how do we make ourselves better? So right. that's basically my entire day. It's really really boring, man. No, it's really but boring. It, it, I wouldn't say boring. There's a <laughs> lot of things going on in your yes. day from morning until night. Um, do you? Like, make sure that you have downtime for yourself, um, a day off, a no. vacation, or do you just go, 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 go? Then how do you sustain yourself? Unfortunately, I think, I like, I told my partners and, mm. uh, and everyone that I don't think we are at the stage where we can have downtime yet. Mm. Because we, in a way, we are still new. Right. And for me, I kind of predicted that the first two to three years will just be all go. Right. Because it's, when you start a business, the start is really, really crucial. Mm -hmm. And then after the start comes maintaining, right. which is very, very important. And now we are at the maintaining stage. So in order to do all of this, I don't think you can have the luxury. I think that's the, the real thing about business. People talk like, oh, you know, I create a business. I'm rich now. <laughs> I can go vacation. Guys, sorry to let you down. No, it's not. You... You are basically more busy than a nine to five. Right. It doesn't end. It really doesn't end. Um, and when things go south, you you have to come up with an immediate plan. So right now we are at a stage that we do not take vacation. We do not have off day. We try to work as much as we can. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, there's no vacation. Don't even <laughs> think about it. There's no vacation right now. We are at the stage that there's no vacation as much as I want to. Right, right. And there's no downtime. It's a really there's no way to sugarcoat this. It's a really depressing kind of lifestyle, if, if, you, if, you, if I, I can say that. Right, but these are the trials and tribulations of the early stages, yeah. right? And, and, and it's, the, it's the grind that you have to go through as a business owner. I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, like you, like you said, unexpectedly and, and very, you know, it's, it's great that you have grown from just one um, noodle house and now you have three outlets. Yeah. How do you make that calculation? Like, when is it the right time to expand and when is 
too soon to expand. Oh, um, so this one is debatable, mm. but uh, you have to strike when the iron is hot. Okay. So when we were having just one outlet in SS2, actually a lot of offer came in. They are a company who at the early stage already want to acquire us and they are uh, actually a lot of people ask us for franchise at that stage. Um, we actually held back a bit. We rejected a few. Uh, luckily, we didn't give in to temptation until we feel like we are. I think you, in order to branch out of franchise, you have to make sure your headquarters itself is stable first. And once it's stable, that's when you know it's okay. Now I have the capacity to actually do something more. That's when uh, someone offered at the right time. At the right time, at the right moment, we were like, okay, you know what, let's, let's do this, let's try it out. That's when we franchise out to one branch. There are still a lot of offer, but right. we just try one branch okay. first. And just by franchising out to one branch, we encounter a lot of challenges. Thankfully, we managed to fix everything. And then after that, we kind of know the capacity and workload we need to have in order to expand to one franchise, right. like to sell one franchise. That's when we thought like, okay, so this is what it takes to have one additional outlet. How many more outlets can we do with the with the manpower we have, with our capacity and our right. strength? And then we thought like, okay, we cannot just, as much as we want to like one outlet every month, we, we thought like, because we for us, quality is really, really important. We do not, we do not, do not want to compromise quality. Mm. And, Yes, when I thought, okay, we cannot expand too fast right now. Uh, I mean, at that time, then we thought, okay, let's give it a bit of time. Let's have the second outlet. Let's smoothen the second outlet first. Right. After like two months, I think it took us two months to smoothen the entire outlets. We were like, not, uh, like again, a fella came in, great time, great, great moment. We got offered into Rex KL. Right. That's when we thought, okay, we have the capacity. Let's do it again. So it's like a, Repeat process, but now I think we are at the stage of um, we are capable of expanding two to three outlets really with the with the whole module that we are running right now because uh, SSU kind of turned into like a central kitchen as well. Hmm. So everything is being centralized. Right. Yeah. So the consistency issue is all fixed really. Okay. Yeah. All right. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges you faced over the past, you know, one year or so doing Biang Biang? Oh, um, for us, the biggest challenge we faced was quality versus quantity. Mm. Quality is uh, the food, food quality and everything. And quantity is selling more bowls, money, right. basically. And we... Our... One thing to know is that our noodles are, are not frozen, you know. Right. They are they have to be made fresh daily. They really have to be made fresh and it's really, really labor intensive. Mm-hmm. That's the thing where <laughs> customers fail to realize. Um, because we didn't jack up our price, we didn't increase price. But we also want to cater to the masses. Because back back in the early stage of our business, we we always sell out around like three, three o'clock, and then we have to like have a short break, 30 minutes, that kind of thing, to replenish everything. Mostly it's because of the dough, mm. because it's all fresh made and it's really labor intensive. So what we did in order to have the best of both, we actually sacrificed our earning. Right. So, uh, okay, 
we discuss like I discussed with my partners and everything, we all came to an agreement that okay, let's let's earn a little lesser. Let's hire more people, let's crank out more noodles for everyone. Because back when we first started, the the queue was really long. Right? Um the queue was really long and people really have to wait. And I can see like those customers that waited very long, that their face is very they have this bad expression, right, right. basically. So like frustrated, waiting yeah, waiting for so long, yeah, yeah. and then and then like uh, always selling out, that right. kind of thing. So it, it kind of get annoying to customer. I feel so. We decided to hire more manpower, not to just fix that, but also to have quality and quantity both at the same mm-hmm. time. Right. So how did y'all? What kept y'all going? You know, when y'all. Uh, were facing all these challenges. What was it that dra- drove you to keep pushing? Uh, wow. I, for me, again, it's the joy of customer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really seeing them being very happy, seeing them returning again. To me, that's, that's what drives me to want to do more. Like, I, I love... Because I, I, I'm not just in the kitchen. I'm also doing, sometimes I'm doing front, sometimes right. I'm doing kitchen stuff, sometimes I'm doing back-end stuff. So, like, it's really nice to interact with all, all our customers and seeing them genuinely really, really happy with our food, coming back again. So, for me, I want to have more of that. Like, it, like I said, I mentioned dopamine, right? This gives me a very long-lasting dopamine. Right. I'm like, this is really bring me... Like, it, it not just make me happy in a very personal level. Like, it drives me to want to make more of it. Right. What would you say, um, you know, what, what qualities does it take to sustain a career in the F&B business in Malaysia? I think the most important thing is the will to always improve. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to be greedy to improve. Like, oh, you don't have to take a big leap. Um, for me, like we are still improving. Every right. day we are still improving. We are still finding things to fine tune. I think you have to have the attitude of wanting to know more, mm-hmm. to learn more, and just look to improve maybe even 1% a day. Right. I feel like improving just a tiny bit, 1%, just in 1%, it compounds slowly. You see 1%, 365 days, 365%, you know. Um, and right. second, second, it's consistency. Uh, like I say, we we really, really do not compromise quality. So, in order to make that happen, you have to be consistent with what you are serving. Because your regular may come in, and you may have one bad day or one one bad trip, and your customer may not come back already. Mm-hmm. That's the harsh reality of FNB. So, consistency is really, really important in FNB, and. I think the, the final thing is innovation. Do not stop innovating. Um, always seek for always seek for new creation. At least in our in our brand, uh, we always try to crank out new things every few months. Mm-hmm. So customer don't get bored, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. I, I think as long as you have three of these down, um, sustaining uh, F and B is is, I think it's really come coming down to these three things. Right. What, um, what do you need a lot of money as your base to start a, let's say, like, you know, you started a restaurant, yeah. a noodle house. Uh-huh. Do you have like a calculation as to how much one needs to put aside to, to get into something like this? Okay. Um, 
this is a really, really subjective question. Right. Back when I still want, like I, I, I am looking to start a FME business, mm-hmm. I actually, before finding a partner, I actually thought of just opening one small hawker store. Right. Just by myself. Okay. So actually before I, uh, we all came together, I actually had a plan like, oh, you know what? I want to do FMB. Why not? I try like this one small store. and then Like slowly, in a kopitiam. In a kopitiam. And then right. slowly, you know, you build yeah, your reputation absolutely. and everything and you expand from there. So I think the main question is how, what kind of business module are you looking at? If you are looking to create something like franchising, a very, very commercialized store, yes, you do need quite a bit of budget to start. But if you are just starting out, you just want to sell food, you can start with a very, very small I think starting a hawker store is less than 10K. You can, you can start a hawker store, right? Right. 10, 15K max. But um, starting a commercialized business, depending on the module you want to run, I know certain brands who have crowdfund a few millions because they, they just want to open a store and show the world that, oh, I have 10 outlets, expand really fast, right. and they want to sell out the business. But we don't do things that way. Uh, we we kind of start, I would say, like a small, medium scale. Uh, we started with like 350 around there. Right. And we from there, we built our brand and everything. And somehow, people start flocking in. Absolutely. Somehow, yeah. <laughs> now, when you reflect on your past few years, um, of, you know, first, you know, working in the construction and then doing what you're doing now and then you also studied abroad. Um, looking at where you are today, when you reflect, how much of it do you account to hard work and passion? How much of it do you account to, let's say, um, having certain privileges, you know, having a father who has a construction company? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, how much do you account for this towards, let's say, having the grit and the determination, the resilience? Mm-hmm. How, how do you reflect on that? To me, passion will get you started, mm-hmm. um, but passion itself is not enough. Mm. Because when you come into business, the reality is mostly you don't get to do mostly you you don't get to just do what you want to do. Right. I think that's the misconception of people. Right. Always have like I start my business, I'm doing what I like. Yes. The reality of doing a business is like, oh, I love cooking, right? Mm-hmm. I cannot just cook all the time. Right. I, me and my partners, like, we all have to not just cook, but we have to look at numbers. Right. We have to be our own accountant. We have to always come out. We have to do the boring stuff, basically. Mm-hmm. Someone has to do it. Uh, strategizing stuff, uh, creating new things, and then doing content creation, counting your pricing, your profit margin, everything. It's these kind of things that... Uh, that's mundane stuff you cannot neglect. And it's usually the mundane stuff that's very, very important to the business. Right. Yeah, because to, to me, on a personal level, I, I hate numbers. Right. I hate to see numbers. I hate to count numbers. You would prefer to just cook. Yes, correct. <laughs> so that's what I thought I, 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 right. I am doing. But <laughs> when I actually dive into it, I'm like, oh my God, no, man. Right. I, I have to look at numbers. I have. I actually spend now, I'm at the stage where... Um, I still do service and everything. I mm-hmm. still cook, but I would say a good chunk, fifty percent chunk of my time, I'm doing those mundane stuff also. Like I, I have to keep thinking a lot of thinking, right? A lot of number crunching, that kind of thing. 
So that's the reality of, of business. You don't get to, like if you're passionate to just cook, uh, and if you don't do in the, you won't go into F and B field. You're you're gonna die, man. You right. you have to grind and hustle the part that you don't want to do mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, it's, it's not always sunshine and rainbow. You have to do everything basically. And to answer your question of the privilege of having uh like my my background, my my dad mm-hmm. has has this construction business. I think I was fortunate enough, and it does help because. Money does scale business. Right. You put more money in, money will grow. So in a way, it's like that. As long as you strategize it nicely, like, you don't just throw money in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it does help. It does help in terms of the speed, the the speed, the growth of the business, the speed of how how fast it can grow. So the more money you put in, the more faster you can grow. Mm-hmm. That's why you have like I mentioned. I, I know I know businesses who put millions inside, and they can grow super super fast. Uh, so money does help. That's the cohort truth. Before we wrap this conversation up, Sienjong, um, it's been very fascinating talking to you. What advice would you give someone listening to this show who says, I want to be like Sienjong one day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, what? Don't be me, man. Just don't be me. I I have a very, very boring, boring and sad life. Uh, just be yourself. Just be yourself. Uh, do what you want. Enjoy what you're doing. Do what you like. Not necessarily have to be business. Just as long as you are doing what you like, what you're passionate about. But I, I think if you're doing what you like and what you're passionate about on a desk job, you're basically winning in life. I'm actually very envious with this kind of person because first of all, you're doing a desk job that you like, you love, and you don't have to bear the responsibility of a business. I always have this thought of like, Oh, um, you know, I have staff with me. If I go down, what happened to them? Right. They are putting food on the table as well. I, I, I always have this. I mean, it scares me, man. If if everything goes down, they go down as well. There's a lot of huge responsibility there. But as long as you're happy with what you're doing, even if a, if it's a desk job, you're passionate about it. I think you're winning. You're winning in life. And on that note, Xianzhong, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That was Liu Xianzhong. He's the co-founder of Biang Biang Noodle Bar. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also find us on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, Apple, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.